When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my I pride. Isaac Watts, one of his great hymns, when he talks about surveying the wondrous cross, what he, what he means is not measuring it like a surveyor, but rather surveying, looking on it and, and contemplating the meaning of it. And we come to Ash Wednesday tonight to do that and, and to survey the cross. Let's pray. O oh Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A number of years back, uh, we did an Emmaus walk uh, down at the Omega Center in Bernie, Texas, which is a, a Roman Catholic retreat center. Um, and, and we got there and people assembled and things started up. And then we went to do our first chapel service. And some of you have been there. Uh, I don't know if any of you are here tonight. Some of you have been in that chapel. And, and in the front of that chapel, there is a, a pretty much life-size, very graphic, very realistic crucifix with cross, Christ hanging on the cross. And we all walked in the room and there was this kind of a, everybody just kind of stepped back. Because, you know, Protestants were not used to that. And you know, we have our nice clean crosses, but, but here was this figure uh, on the cross, and, and it just, it just kind of hit us. I mean, it was almost physical the way it impacted everybody that walked into that room, uh, and, and, you know, people weren't real comfortable with that, and, and I walked up, and I'm sitting up there in the front, and I'm looking at it, and it's so, it's so real looking, and uh, I'm looking at, at Jesus, scraped up knees and remembering all the time when I was a kid and I was trying to learn to ride a bicycle and I would fall and scrape my knees up and you know how that hurts and I'm looking at those knees going, oh, ooh, I, I can almost feel it and I'm looking at his feet and I'm remembering stepping on a, a beer bottle one time when we were pulling a boat out of the water and, and cutting my foot open and remembering that and then looking at that nail and thinking, man, that, that, that looks 10 times worse. And then, you know, my eyes were just kind of working their way up through the, the wound in his side and the lacerations on his back and the thorns on his head and the nails in his hands. And it was just this um, kind of overwhelming sense of pain. And I found myself sitting there kind of going, I, why? I mean, why, why like this? Why did it have to be like this? So I, I wrote a blog here a few weeks. Y'all may have seen it talking about it being personal when I come into Lent. Lent's, Lent's personal to me. The, the part about Lent that I think a lot of people sort of dance around and all is just the, the reality of, of our living and dying. And uh, in, in our family, you know, this time of year, uh, we have within the span of, of, you know, here about four or five weeks, we have the anniversaries of the death of my stepfather and my father-in-law and my sister and my mother. And three of those fall on March 2, 5, and 6. So, you know, we come into this time of the year and, and you know, the reality of death is very up close to us and very personal. Uh, 
Uh, we feel that very much. But to take that that one step further and say, what is it? What? I, I get it that we're going to die, but why, why like this? Um, the first time I really sat and wrestled with that was sitting in that chapel in Bernie and, and looking at that crucifix and wondering, ah, why? I mean, Paul is, is really, uh, you know, Paul talks about, you know, the crucifixion, right? And Romans 14, you know, if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. And then in Galatians, uh, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and to the world. I mean, he's, he's kind of bringing that out. Now, the, the early church didn't separate the cross from the resurrection in the way that we sometimes do. Uh, they're always kind of held together in all the teaching of the, the early church, and you understand that. But I just couldn't kind of sit there that day and say, why? Why, why like this? So in Scripture, you know, you go back in the Old Testament, there's this story back in Genesis that we start with, and we always go back and remember this this night, about, about how we got to where we are now. Uh, the eyes of both of them were opened, Adam and Eve. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me. This is always one of my favorite lines of scripture. <laughs> the woman you put here with me. You know, God, this is your fault. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What's this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And then because they've broken this relationship with God and, and with one another, they're forced to leave the garden. And God says, By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are into dust you'll return. And that phrase, the sweat of your brow, doesn't simply mean hard work. It means anxiety. It means worry. It means wondering about, you know, how are we going to make ends meet? Where are we, are we going to have enough to eat tomorrow? Are we going to have enough place to live? All those kind of things that, that occupy us and make us worry and fret. And we, we went from this place where everything was in the relationship it was supposed to be between us and, and with God and with the world around us. And, and, and we broke that. And so ever since then, we've been in this place where the relationships between us are broken, and the relationships between us and God get broken, and the relationships between us and the world get broken. If you haven't got a hold of that, have you watched the news this week? This invasion that's going on, even as we're, we're here, and we're watching that going, it just doesn't, I mean, what, what are they doing? Why, why is this happening? You know, it doesn't make sense. It's because all of those connections that should be as they are, that should be part of God's shalom, all of those connections are broken. Instead of being filled with shalom, they're, they're filled with pain and dis-ease and sin.
And that's who we are. And God reminds them as they're leaving. Well, you know, really, if you don't restore this relationship, if you don't hold on to me, you're, you're dust. And, and it's back to dust you're going to go. And somehow or another, it, it's through this cross that that difference gets made. Um, in Matthew's gospel, there's this wonderful story with Peter. Just before this, in this chapter, just before this, Jesus has had that time where he asked the, you know, the disciples, who do people say that I am? And then he, you know, they answer him with, you know, oh, Elijah, you know, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he says, okay, well, that's great, guys. But who do you say that I am? And only Peter says, oh, you're, you're, you're the, the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And, and Jesus blesses him for saying that. And then just a little while later, I mean, within that same chapter, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you're a stumbling block to me, for you're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. I mean, like Adam and Eve in the garden, instead of having their eyes on God and following where God led and Peter listening to what Jesus, he's arguing with him. No, that can't be right. And Jesus had that really interesting comment. You've set your mind on, on human things, not on, not on divine, but on human. Because in our human mind, you know, we really just want to avoid anything that's difficult and anything that's painful. So uh, over the past, I don't know, how many months, uh, we've had several times I've had this similar conversation with people when someone has died and, and they've been at the hospital or they've been in hospice, and they'll say, it, it's just the weirdest sensation. It just feels like, you know, when, when so-and-so died, you know, the husband died or the wife died or a child or a parent, so it, it, it feels like the whole world just stopped. And then I, I walked outside and it was like nothing had happened. Anybody been there? You know, you think, my gosh, I, I, just lost, I just lost this person that's so important to me and so precious to me. And, and shouldn't I, when I walk out, shouldn't the whole world be aware of this? And the world kind of goes, meh. And they go on about their business. We have an amazing ability. We have an amazing ability to simply tune that out and go on with our lives. So what does it take? I mean, what does it take to get, get our attention? What does it take to reach out to us once we've decided that, oh, we've eaten the tree of good and knowledge, we know what we're doing, we got this. What does it take? And that was <laughs> sitting in that chapel I'm going, that's, that's what it took. I mean, Jesus had to be willing to say, okay, listen. You do your worst to me. You take all your betrayal out of me. You take all of your abandonment out of me. You take all of your pain out of me. You put me through whatever you need to put me through. 
but then stop and look at what you've done and, and understand that that was done for us in love. Unlike the rest of the world that goes by us and ignores us, Jesus on the cross causes everything to come to a screeching halt. And they realize that there's a love so powerful that he would do this for me. Now I want you to hear that. Do this for me. And do this for you. Because it's personal. And, and sitting in that chapel and looking at that figure of Christ on the cross, I mean, I just was kind of overwhelmed with the sense of, oh, I mean, this is, this is what that means. And what wondrous love is this? I mean, this, this, is, this is what it looks like. This is what it means. This is how far God's willing to go. I mean, when, when Isaac Watts pins this hymn, he talks about it. Uh, you know, save, save it, Lord, you know, forbid, Lord, that I should boast except in the death of Christ my God. Uh, see from his head, his, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or, or thorns compose so rich a crown? This understanding that this is, this is a tremendous act of love meant to stop the world for a moment, to stop the world in its tracks for a moment. I say, you may have forgotten about God, but God has not forgotten about you. You may have chosen to direct your attention elsewhere, but God has never taken his eyes off of you. And once you kind of begin to sink into that, then all of a sudden that, that figure that for so many of us when we first walked in there kind of shocked us became this powerful, powerful figure of love. And it wasn't unusual for me to walk in there and find men that were on that retreat just, just sitting down in the front row, just sitting there looking at that figure and, and praying. Praying to the God who, who loved them that much. So Isaac ends that hymn. He says, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing. Love so divine. It demands my soul, my life, my all. And my brothers and sisters, the season of Lent is a time to survey the cross. It's a time in the midst of the rush of the world to just stop and realize what wondrous love God shows us. That he would go to the cross for us and then be raised for us. Amen.